you put everything into your life into something and you hope for the best and uh, it's been a great career. Welcome to the Just Women Sports Podcast, where we talk to the biggest athletes in the world about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is Jordan Larson. Jordan is a professional volleyball player and a three-time Olympic medalist. In college at Nebraska, she led her team to a national title and was also chosen as the Big 12 Player of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year her senior season, becoming the first player in Big 12 history to ever do so. Most recently with the U.S. national team, she completed her medal trifecta at the 2020 Olympics by winning gold with Team USA, having previously won silver and bronze. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I see you getting a big smile on your face when I read the completed her medal trifecta at the 2020 Olympics. What is that? How does that make you feel? Oh, I've been searching for like the right words. I've done quite a few interviews, but just like nothing... I don't know. It still feels so surreal and um, I can't believe it. I don't know. Yeah. I just was a small town girl, like had big dreams, but I never thought that it would lead me to where I am today. Well, I think you might be the first athlete that I, or at least team sport athlete that I've talked to that has won all three, which I find super interesting. And I feel like you'll have such great insight or just like perspective on what each one meant or felt like. Um, Cause I've won gold and this summer won bronze. And I, I'm I'm very curious if we have similar feelings on part of it. But uh, before we get to Olympic medals, we're going to talk about where you came from and where it all started, which you already said, uh, small town girl. So you grew up in a small town in Nebraska, um, Hooper, Nebraska, right? Good job. And, <laughs> and it's a town of like 850 people. If my notes are correct. Yeah, roughly. So that's like, that's like actually small town. Yeah, very small town. So what was childhood like for you? Yeah, so my parents actually got divorced from a pretty early age um, when I was three. And my dad kind of stayed on the farm and my mom moved to the town or the village uh, of Hooper. And so I very much got both uh, lives. I got to live more in town and then also on the farm. So okay. kind of got the best of both worlds. And uh, my parents were both athletes. My dad played division two football. Uh, my mom just played in high school, volleyball uh, and basketball. And so very much centered around sports and just kind of had me in a lot of sports to try it out. But really it was, it was a great childhood. So you played a bunch of different sports and you, you you clearly come from like a great gene pool of athletic, you know, athletic yeah. parents. <laughs> yeah. So when did you start playing volleyball and what were the other sports that you played as a kid? Yeah. So my mom first threw me in soccer nice. and I absolutely hated that. <laughs> really? Like, Why? Oh, I just, I had shin guards, but they keep kept hitting me in the shin. I'm like, this is like really fun. doesn't do anything. The shin guards. <laughs> no, no. And like, yeah, just it's running. I was like, not a fan, but I, I love the sport, mm -hmm. like the meaning behind it. But then and I quickly transitioned into softball and uh, basketball. My dad was my junior high basketball coach. Okay. I think if it was up to my dad, like he probably would have liked me to go into basketball. Okay. But I had this opportunity to go play club volleyball when I was the age of 12. Uh, there was a couple upperclassmen at my high school that had started traveling a little bit, which was like an hour from me, like Omaha in Omaha, Nebraska. And so 
I just went for a tryout when I was 12 and really started playing all year round at that point. So that's kind of how it all started. But I also ran track in high school. I played basketball in high school and then softball. I stopped playing at the age of 16, I believe. So it was a bit of the influence from older friends or, you know, schoolmates that got you into, okay, I'm going to go do club volleyball because obviously people know that like as a kid, club means, oh, we're serious about it. So that was kind of the the first step into being like, oh, I'm going to take volleyball seriously yeah for sure and my parents sat me down because I'm sure as you know like it's an investment right like it's not cheap to play club sports and uh my parents did well for themselves but it still was you know a hefty amount of money and so they just sat me down they're like hey like we're making an investment and but Mm -hmm. also like I'm sure you know like you can't really do anything outside of that sport Right. As far I mean, you can play other sports, but I'm saying like you can't really have a job because you're playing so much. You're trying to train. And so they're like, hey, this can be your job, but we know that it's going to take some sacrifice and some commitment. Uh, so we're just going to sit down and set some goals and maybe see like what you have in mind and what we what you want to do. And so I sat down and set three goals that I wanted to play in high school, like start in high school. I wanted to go to college and play volleyball. And then I wanted to be an Olympian at the age of 12. Yeah, it's crazy. That's so cool. I know. It was so surreal. Like now looking back, I'm like, well, how did I, I don't know, think about that at, at that young of age, but it was really cool that my parents thought of that stuff. So yeah, I feel like it's really special that your parents took the time to do that and to make you actually think about it and to understand what they were putting in and that it wasn't just like, oh, go have fun, which is part of sports. But you know, there was the opportunity to have a return on the investment as in get a college scholarship, that sort of thing, which I feel like a lot of parents probably don't do. And maybe hearing this, they will just because it's, it's probably a great exercise for kids to understand like this costs money and and there's an investment going in here, but there's something that you could get out of it in the future. For sure. So this was right when you were starting club. Yeah. Yeah. Like right when I started, because we were, it was just going to be so much investment on everybody's end, you know, but I think it taught me discipline. It taught me, yeah, you know, like how to like manage my time, you know, like if I'm going to go with friends or if I'm going to rest and recover, you know, I think it really just helped put it in perspective. Like this is my contribution to the family, I guess you could say, but it was, uh, I don't know. I really bought into that, like, and made it something that it was like really serious for me. So at what point after you started playing club volleyball, did you think, Oh, I could actually achieve some of those goals I wrote down? Yeah. Um, this is probably crazy, but I think like at the age of 15, uh, wow. yeah, I played, I think I committed to college by, I was at least 15 or 16. Like I was one of the earliest at that point to commit. And so I think I was just, I was more of an athlete versus like, I'm just a volleyball player. And I think mm. it allowed me to like, keep staying refreshed and like have this new sense of like love for the sport every time I kept playing it. And so, um, I don't know, I just knew from an early age at that point that I was going to do something special because I was able to do like athletic moves versus just like volleyball specific, if that makes that sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And and you committed to Nebraska at age either 15 or 16, which again, super early. That's what, like sophomore year of high school. Yeah, I think it was going. Yeah, that's in. But Nebraska is historically a very prominent volleyball school, like as in the (laughs) women's volleyball school. So that I mean, to be able to commit to a school that early in high school of that caliber in terms of the overall volleyball scene of 
college volleyball, you obviously were a, a phenom at a young age. Like you knew it and other people knew it. Yeah, I, I just been had been very lucky that I got in, also into like the USA pipeline at a very young mm. age. So I was able to get international experience. I went to Poland my first time at 16. Like I got to be surrounded by high level coaching and also just, yeah, going to camps and continuing to learn. And so I think for sure early on that there was some sort of um, capacity there. Was your first inkling of like, oh, I could I could go to the Olympics or I will go to the Olympics was when you got called into youth national team camp? Uh, I don't think my realization of going to the Olympics happened until I was on the national team, which was after college. Okay. Um, I think for me, I didn't understand like the professional life. Like, what does that mean? Especially in volleyball, like we have to go overseas and we have to be uh, away in the summers. And I just didn't understand the correlation or what it was actually going to take to get to the Olympics. I just thought you went to college. As soon as you graduated, you got asked. I don't know. I just didn't understand the concept. And so I don't think it really clicked until I was in it and understanding like the process of how to make an Olympic team and how mm. cutthroat it is really. I mean, there's five rosters a year or a summer yeah. and you're trying to make those rosters. And just hope that you make the final roster going to Olympics. So it's very, very hard to, to do. I want to talk more about that in the understanding what it takes to play professionally yep. after college and make an Olympics team for USA Volleyball. But Nebraska, did you mm -hmm. always know that you wanted to go there or did you look at other schools? Because it was technically your, it was your hometown, you know, state university. Yeah, it was also one of the best. Yeah. So it's kind of like, was that it for you? Or did you look at other places? Yeah, no, I mean, I think people looking from the outside were like, oh, of course, like, it's a no brainer, you know, but I, I didn't want it to be so like that. But I also committed so early that I didn't really have any other chances to look anywhere. I did uh, do a high performance camp in the summer before I committed. And one of the UCLA assistants was there. And I really got to know her and really liked her. But um, at that point, it was already kind of like determined, not determined, but I just knew that I wanted my family to go to a lot of games. And like you said, it was an easy decision, but also very, they were very good. And so if I wanted to play after college, I felt like going to Nebraska is like the, the place to be. Yeah, that makes sense. So you go into Nebraska your freshman year you're named conference freshman of the year. Mm -hmm. And then the team also finishes second in the NCAA tournament. I'm curious, what was the team's record before that? Had they recently won national championship? Like, did you feel pressure as a freshman, local girl, committed early as a sophomore, walking into Nebraska that's like this, you know, powerhouse? Oh, I got to win starting right off the bat. So the last time they won was in 2000, but every okay. year they were either, I want to say like conference championship and like making it past the elite eight, I think to the final four. I could be wrong on that, but I walked into the team being number one. So they were number mm. one in the country. And it's I was a little just, bit of pressure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's giving me chills right now thinking about like, you know, at that age, you don't really comprehend what's happening. You're just like, oh yeah, yeah I came from high school and whatever I did X, Y, and Z, I'll be fine. Um, and so I don't think I like fully understood the weight of it. I was just trying to be the best that I could be. And, um, yeah, I, I was not paying attention to what was actually going on. <laughs> what did it look like for you to be as good as you were right off the bat? You know, you say you, you kind of weren't paying attention to it. So was that kind of like, I'm just gonna continue doing what I know how to do, but at the same time, 
you clearly adapted very well in the college game. And and it's not an easy jump going from club or high school mm-hmm. to the college game in any sport. So I'm curious if there was anything you specifically remember contributing to you being so successful so quickly. Yeah, I think for me, uh, being a multi-sport athlete, again, like being an athlete, like being able to make athletic moves versus just mm-hmm. being so like, oh, you're a volleyball player, you do all these skills. I was able to do things that were maybe outside of like a normal realm of a volleyball player. And I think that helped me adjust quicker. And also, I don't know, I just, I think my parents taught me along the way that you're going to have a lot of different coaches and a lot of different viewpoints, but take what each coach says and try to apply it and try to make it the best that you can. And I think I, in turn, have become a pretty good learner. Like I can learn and adjust pretty quickly. And so um, I think that helped me kind of gain that um, further. I love hearing that, that yeah. you're coachable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it, it is so important. I think that it's lost a lot of times um, in youth athletes across the board, really. Sure. I feel like your parents were very wise with you and did a very good job of giving <laughs> you good advice throughout the years. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I I was very lucky, but for sure I had my moments, right? Of like, yeah. you know, like I shouldn't, even as a pro, I'm, you know, I'm sure you felt like there's only so much you can start to learn, you know, but as long as you remain open to it and try to make the change, like it's only going to make you better, even if it's challenging and it's not the news you want to hear, like it's going to make you better at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Well, you, you fall short your freshman year. You have a great freshman year personally. The team also does really well, but ultimately fall short. But in 2006, it's your sophomore year. You reach NCAA championship. It's hosted at home in Nebraska and you guys win it all. Yeah. What was that like for you? You're surrounded by your family. Like, what did that feel? Like? And it was the first time, what, in six years since the team had won. So yep. what, what was that like? Yeah, very surreal. Uh, I think what helped us that year was I had one kill in the, in the finals before, which is very humbling, right? Like, I here I am, like, you know, it's just like one kill, hmm, not so great. So how can I? Can you explain to the listeners what a kill is? Because some people will think that you murdered somebody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, An attack (laughs) that hits the ground, like one point for the match. Like that's it. Yeah. So you basically, you're the person who put it over the net and got the point. Yeah. So. And you got one. And one in a three set match, which typically an outside hitter should average between 12 and 15, depending on how. Yeah. So it's very, I wanted to be better. I think as as a team wanted to be better, we just got. I mean, it was in a pretty match in the semifinal or the final the year before or Mm. yeah, the year before. And so we really restructured how our culture was and how we wanted to be as teammates. And obviously we knew it was going to be in Nebraska. And so we had the full state behind us and uh, it was going to be great coming back to family. But we had to get there. Right. People weren't just going to hand you this championship or hand you this final four. It was like we had to put in the work and. Uh, I don't know. It really, it was really special to be able to do that with that group and just a great group of people that bought into something that was bigger than themselves. It was like, Hey, I'm playing for you. I'm playing for you. I'm dropping like any caddy stuff that, that could be going on. So I feel like that is always the underlying factor of championship teams for sure. Truly. And it's not to say that everybody's best friends is off the court or yep. field or pitch or whatever, but it's the selflessness and in, in the way to play for each other. So, um, and did you feel like that wasn't the case the year before there were issues that had to be resolved? Um, I didn't think that there was issues. It was just such a, maybe a disconnect from like a senior and a freshman, you know, like mm. there wasn't this, like, um, we're on the cohesion. same page. Yeah. Cohesion. But like, I didn't think it was also, it wasn't like bad because I think everybody was like respectful. I just think that 
we were playing more as individuals versus like a team. So, and I that think that, that's what we've changed like the following year, but also I think we got better too. I think we were, we were better that next year. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, you cap off an incredible college career with the big 12 player of the year award, as well as the league's defensive player of the year award. So who would you say helped you maintain focus throughout your college career? Because you had a very prolific four years at Nebraska. So what would you say it was coach? It was teammates. What would you say it was? I think it was a little bit of everything. I think like my parents played a really crucial role. Um, it's funny. I've gone back. I've saved a couple emails from my parents of like my mom. I was having like back pain and she's like, you need to talk to this person. You need to talk to this person. Like she was just always so proactive on certain things that it taught me how to be an athlete and what that meant to take care of my body and how mm. to be the best version of myself. And obviously uh, John, the head coach there, did a great job of structuring the team and how to go outside of yourself, like to become a better leader. And uh, there was just always something to be striving for. And I think that even in the weight room, like I tried to push that boundary as well. Like in order for me to be at my best, I have to have a great off season and to have a great off season. That means putting in time in the weight room and getting after it. So I ended up winning lifter of the year, like my junior, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it was just like all these things that I think they run a great program and for sure, coaching teammates, family, uh, all there. And, and I think the one thing that people don't, I mean, they talk about the Nebraska fans, right? Like how it's sold out all the time, but also that's like pressure, you know, external pressure that people don't think about. So when you're used to playing in front of that every night, like you almost come immune to it, which is good because once you get into these higher person situations down the road, like you've already been there and you've done it. And so I think having that consistently through my career has really helped me in this next phase of life. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious. You have the nickname of um, the governor. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain that? Yeah. So one of my really good friends in the national team, her name is Faluka. She played at Stanford. We actually yeah. played in the 06 final. I know her. Yeah. 06 final together. We talked a little crap against each other. We weren't really, <laughs> we weren't really friends like until we got to the national team. We roomed together okay. and then now we've been friends for over 10 years and she's one of my best friends. And so we were in Thailand for our national team games. And uh, all of a sudden I see this guy at the end of the like fan section and he's wearing a Nebraska shirt and Faluka's like, seriously. And I was, I go over, he's like waving me in down. Thailand. Yeah. In Thailand, the bank, Bangkok of all places. And this guy's like waving me down and she's like, Hey, like, he's like, Hey, I know your dad. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like of all places. Right. And so yeah. Faluka was telling the story to her brother and her brother was like, ah, I mean, not surprising. She's like the governor of Nebraska. And Faluka, she's like one of those people, I don't know if you have friends in your life like this, like she's like nicknamed queen and she will just continue to call it like until you start responding. And then like the rest of the team like starts to respond as well. And so all of a sudden it was like, it was a joke. And then I like to change my Instagram handle as a joke, but now I can't change it back. And so now I answer to it. And so now everybody calls me GovGovy, the governor. It's, it's kind of funny. So it's become part of the brand, but it's more of a joke than anything. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. amazing. Oh my gosh. We'll be right back after a quick break. In talking about, you know, national team, you, you have a great college career. Yeah. You're leaving college. You're playing now with the national team. Had you been called up to the full team throughout college? So I got asked to come train for the 08 Olympic Games. Okay. Uh, the spring going into my senior year, but I chose to forego training because I wanted to complete school because I was on, I was going to graduate early. So if I did that, then I would have to postpone and it just postponed everything. So 
I just wanted to graduate early. And so I got asked to come in this in the summer of 09 is when I started. Okay. Yeah. And you graduated in December of 08. So basically, as you're nearing the end of your college career, what are you thinking in terms of what's my next step? Because you kind of touched on it earlier in not fully understanding what playing professionally post-college looks like in volleyball. And I think a lot of people probably don't realize what that looks like um, because there isn't a a domestic league here. So can you kind of talk through what you were thinking, the decisions you were having to make, those sorts of things? Yeah. So I actually met with a former, she wasn't my teammate in Nebraska, but a former player in Nebraska. Her name's Nancy Metcalf. Um, She also played in Nebraska and she had been playing overseas now at that point, probably five years or so. And so I remember going to dinner with her, just asking questions because she was on the national team for uh, a short stint. And I just said like, Hey, what's it like? You know, what would you recommend? And so, um, after the final four in 08, I signed a contract to go play in Puerto Rico, which is kind of what she recommended. It's like a good, like starter league. It's only three months long and it's in Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico is close to home. It's basically, I mean, you know, American currency, people speak English. Close you know, to home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it was kind of a good starter league and transition to the national team. So that's where I ended up going. And then, yeah, that's kind of how how it all started and how I got um, more understanding of what the professional like was like. And at any point, did you think, oh, I don't know if I want to make all the sacrifices that come with having to 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 go overseas to play professionally in volleyball and, and because really that's you have to do that to be able to stay on the national team to be able to potentially win an Olympic gold medal. Yeah. No, I it definitely crossed my mind and I was definitely scared. Like I I being from Nebraska, going to school in Nebraska, like I didn't know any different, you know, and so like going to a foreign country just seemed so overwhelming to me and something that just like, can I do this? Is this something that I really want to do? But I, I don't know. I had the physicality to be able to play at the highest level or at a higher level. So why not try and see what it's like? So, but it was definitely scary and I didn't, wasn't looking forward to it. (laughs) I can't imagine. I mean, I thinking back and just kind of reading through your story, I've never played internationally and I don't know if I would have been able to do that if there wasn't a domestic league available to me in the US. I don't know if I if that if that didn't exist, if I would have made the hard decision of like, yeah, I am going to go overseas because I do want to to play for the national team. I, like I think I was too tied to like relationships, friends, family here and and don't know if I would have done that. So I mm-hmm. I applaud people who are able to make that and and to like you said, do the scary thing that is going overseas. Yeah. So you go to Puerto Rico for 3 months. You start to play with the national team. You crush it in in the summer of mm-hmm. 09. You started 19 matches in the Pan American Cup um, and all these different tournaments. And after that, you end up making the decision to go to Russia. So Puerto Rico is close to home, definitely compared to Russia. So Puerto Rico had to have gone okay for you to be like, all right, I can make the even bigger step leap jump to go play in Russia. Yeah. So Puerto Rico went well. I like had quite a few accolades after the season, uh, but our team was horrible. So it was very much like yeah. I played well, but my team was like so-so. Uh, so again, that's another learning experience because I was always a part of a team that was pretty good. And uh, so yeah, I go to the national team and uh, we were actually in Thailand again. We played Russia in Thailand and one of the assistant coaches who was 
going to be my head coach in Russia saw me and was like, we need to sign her. And so I ended up signing in Russia. And like you said, it was very different. Okay. When I signed in Russia, the team had just moved up to the first division. I didn't, I didn't know anything about what I was getting myself into. And we go there and we actually finished seventh that year, which was huge. And they're like, hey, we want to resign you for the next year, but we're going to bring all these national team players. And I was like, like Russian national team players. And I was like, no national team is going to want to come to a seventh place team. You know, like what? And then all of a sudden, like the whole, basically the whole Russian national team comes to our club and they just start like pumping money. <laughs> they like, opened just... up the, the checkbook. Exactly. So we finally qualified for Champions League. We started winning the Russian championship, Russian cup, all that. So it, it really turned into a great experience, but <laughs> it was a little scary. to Like when we got, I got off the plane, like nobody spoke English. They're like, what do Americans like to eat? Took us directly to McDonald's. Like it was very like, yeah, it was a uh, out, out of this world experience. When I look back, I'm like, how did I want to go back and continue to go back? Like, Cause you, you ended up playing there for five years, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So when you went, were you the only American player there or was, did you have like a friend? Yeah. A buddy? Well, at the time I was married. Uh, so okay. I, my husband at the time went with me. And so I was, oh, that's nice. yeah, I was very lucky that he traveled with me and traveled. I, I don't think I could have done it otherwise. Like it would have been really hard. So. Yeah. I can't imagine. Do you have, besides them immediately taking you to McDonald's, do you have any other wild Russian stories? Because I talked to Candace Parker and she had some some crazy ones that I can't even remember at the time, but I was just like mind blown. Oh yeah. So at the time, like I said, our team wasn't like so great. Like they didn't have a lot of funds to start. And so we only, I mean, I should say only, there was a couple of times we traveled by plane, but it was mainly by train. And yeah. And so it was like, I've ridden a train in Russia. Yeah. It was, it was like out of the thirties, maybe fifties. I don't know. And there are nice trains. Like you can get like a nice, a nice, like, cabin and it's nice but these were like overnight trains and like there's no like air right like so and the heat rises and the russians love their heat it's like so hot in these cabins you're just like dying of heat trying to sleep well and then i like i don't know if this is tmi for the podcast but i had to use no let's hear i had to use the bathroom and all of a sudden like the bathroom is locked and i was like what's going on they're like oh well we're about to go through a city apparently that they closed the doors to the to the bathroom like 15 minutes on each side of the city because the toilet just opens like straight to the track no i know and i was like like where am i <laughs> what is happening but why would they do that going through a city why wouldn't you do it like out in the country i'm saying the doors were locked between like 15 minutes before and after the city so then that way like oh. they didn't have like they they did it out like in the boonies which is fine but got i just it. i wasn't used to that and that was such a culture shock to me but then when you got on like a nicer train like obviously they had like plumbing and all that stuff but it was still like very yeah very interesting but it turned into i mean like i said they they did a great job it was a it was a great experience and uh yeah it was awesome yeah I, i'm gonna i want to ask you about absolutely smashing it (laughs) with your club team in Russia. But first, 2012 Olympics. Well, actually, before we do that, can you kind of explain the cadence or what your yearly schedule looks like playing in Russia, playing for Team USA? What can you just give a picture of what that looks like? Yeah. So after that 09 summer, we finished like October-ish. And then I go directly to Russia from October to 
depending on how far you go, it could be April or May and then directly into the national team. So, and then it just kind of repeats that cycle all the way until the Olympics. Uh, I would say the most time off we have, depending on how well you do is like 10 days in between seasons, no. in between seasons. Yeah. And that's like, because if you're good, right, you're going to the finals and then you're starting with the national team right away. So it's like you're begging for time off. And so it's pretty brutal. So national team plays basically in the summer. Yep. And the Russian or European or um, Champions League yep. is October through end of May. Uh, I would say like middle of May. Middle of May. Okay. Yep. And that 10 day break comes after you finish Champions League before you start national team. Because national team rolls right into your season. Correct. But then also on the latter end of the national team. A little team as well, break. Like okay. There as well. Gee. So it's like a little. That's rough. Yeah. When you're with the national team, are you with them straight through or do you go into camps? Yeah, straight through. But then we have like, depending on the summer, we have anywhere between three and four tournaments. So it just kind of depends like when we leave. Right now, we're kind of not fighting, but just like trying to find a balance because last year was the last year of the year, whatever year we played. Some girls played in Champions League, uh, and three days later, the first national team tournament started. And they're like, "Yeah, what are we supposed to do? You know, like, it's tough. But then again, we're very lucky that we have the opportunity to play, and this is our chance to earn an income, provide for our families, travel the world, yeah. play at a high level. So it's like this give and take, you know? Yeah, for sure. But rest and recovery is mucho importante I would say yes. <laughs> and then yes. and if you don't get it you'll be wishing that you got it um sure. dang that's a lot I'm trying to comprehend yeah. that uh <laughs> I mean I because I think that our off season is short and we get six weeks per our our like bargaining oh okay so okay 2012 Olympics you you make the Olympic team mm -hmm. what was it like going into that roster selection were you thinking oh I like at this point, were you an established player? I got it in the bag, like no problem. Or were you waiting for that final roster to be named, to be on it and to be able to go to London? Yeah. So I had been starting pretty much every tournament up until that point. And so while I was confident that I was probably going to be going, I think being my first, I was like, until they actually tell me, like, I can't yeah. like be certain, you know? So I think there was this like, you know, fear of like what could happen if something, you know, changes their mind because we did have one girl that was starting the whole time and didn't go. So it's just, you know, you just never know what the coaches are thinking. Maybe they, you don't align with the culture or whatever. So, um, I just was really, really nervous at that point. Dang. Well, you made it and you get yeah. to go to London <laughs> and that was your, you know, you, you check off the last item on the list that you made as a 12 year old. What did it feel like to be part of Team USA to put on a jersey in London representing your country at an Olympics? Uh, so surreal. Um, yeah, like you said, just like this culmination of like, I I checked it off. Like I actually did it. Like I'm sure maybe in your career too, like you had some people that were like, who is this girl? Like, you know, what is she talking about? You know, like some people that doubted, you know, what you, what I stood for and what I thought I was going to be. And so the fact that I could actually like prove that and say like, Hey, I, I did it like that. I don't know. That's, that was worth it. Made it, made the journey. Yeah. Worth did it. you, and all the time in Russia worth it. <laughs> oh my God. I get, Cause at that point you had played in Russia for two years, four, four years. Four years. Uh, yeah. Well, three years at okay. that point. And then I played two. After. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, did you guys stay in the village? Uh, we did. Yeah, which it was tough. Yeah. What was your 
feelings on your first Olympic Village experience? And how long is your tournament goes basically the whole time? Yeah, almost. Yeah, we're the right one of the, similar to ours. Yeah, we're the only one of the only sports that goes the full twelve days, and so um, it was cool. I mean, obviously you're walking around. I think it was cool because uh, when we train, we're not around other sports very much, and so we would get to the Olympics. It's like to see all these high yeah. performing athletes that are all at the best of their sport and at the top of their game, like so cool. Um, one, it was hot in London and we had to have the windows open. So people were like raging and we're like trying to sleep, you know, and I'm just like, what is life, you know? Uh, but it was, it was cool. And, um, London was amazing. They did a great job, but, uh, yeah, definitely surreal. Yeah. London did a really good job. And it is so funny being in the village. We got there a couple of days before because we played like satellite yep. venues, but being in the village and still having to compete and being like, I haven't won what I came here to win or gold or any medal yep. or gold medal, but other people have. And so they're still hanging out, sticking around, having a good time. Like you said, people are raging and you're like, I should be in the most specific yes. <laughs> environment to like be at the top of my game. And I'm not, I'm basically at yeah. a college frat party. Um, not, not yeah, to that extent yeah. completely, maybe a little bit. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a quick break. A big part of the JWS podcast is to celebrate women. This season, we've teamed up with our presenting sponsor, WIS, to share the inspiring stories of the female entrepreneurs and business leaders that are not only changing the game, but are also WIS clients. So today we wanted to feature Manal Kahi. Manal is the founder and CEO of Eat Off Beat, an app that curates meal boxes featuring authentic recipes by refugee chefs in the New York City area. Manal, who is from Lemadon, wanted to bridge the gap between refugees and those who eat their food. Eat Off Beat's goals are threefold. One, they create quality jobs for talented refugees. Two, they build a connection between their chefs and their customers. And three, they ultimately change the narrative around refugees and immigration by showcasing a more positive story. Offbeat offers competitive salaries and puts all the focus on their chefs, highlighting their achievements in a way that makes them proud of what they do. Manal, it is women like you who continue to inspire and spark change. We'll see you next week for more stories of female leaders like Manal in business and sport and beyond. Back to the show. You guys end up making it to the finals mm-hmm. and you lose to Brazil. Yep. So you're officially an Olympic medalist. It's a silver medal. How do you feel? Because I'm very, I'm curious. I've never won a silver medal. What did that feel like for you? I just, I, I don't know how to like a word it. Sorry. <laughs> that facial expression no, doesn't say a lot, but uh, no, it says, I think it says a lot. Yeah. I, I think I've been on a lot of teams even prior to that, like of when you get, to the championship and you walk away with what you want, or even if you don't, you maximize your potential. Right. And I think that whole quad, it just didn't feel great. Like interpersonally, like we just didn't have, like, again, you don't have to be like besties or you don't have to be this, you know what it is, but I don't know, just something just fell off and not like why I play the sport. And honestly, while it's amazing and like winning a silver medal is something that I could never even imagine like it it meant a lot but I think how we went about it just didn't have that same feeling and same meaning behind it and so yeah it was a little bittersweet did you guys feel the expectation of we should win gold or was it like oh it's not okay we won silver but like we made it to the finals that's a great run for us we should be proud of this um yeah I don't think we felt the pressure I didn't feel the pressure um yeah, I don't know. We, I don't even think we had the conversation about it, to be honest. Like, that's what's weird is mm. like, we didn't really talk about like these external things that could be happening to people necessarily. Um, 
don't know, there just wasn't a lot of communication amongst players. Uh, it was very much kind of divided and just didn't feel great, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I understand that does happen. And it's a hard thing to explain. And I guess it kind of makes sense as to why you guys came up short. Yep, for sure. I, yeah. I think if we would have walked away with a gold, I think a lot of people, one, would have walked away and like just would have been done with like retired, you know, and mm. uh, that could have continued to have, you know, because once you get there, it's kind of like, OK, I've got I want it, you know, but I think yeah. it allowed people to like, hey, no, there's more in the tank and I can give more. Well, post 2012. You have this insane year in 2014 and in 2015, for that matter. In 2014, you win for both club and country. So you yep. win Champions League with your club team in Russia, which is, can you say it for me? Because I'm going to butcher it. Yeah, Dynamo Kazan. Wouldn't have said that. Yep. Would have said something like Dynamo Kazan. You're close. You're close. Kind you of. can say it both ways. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, then you win Club World Championship. And then with Team USA you win the world championships. So Champions League and Club World Championships, which one would you say mattered more to you to win? Uh, Champions League. Champions League okay. is really hard to win. Um, and people that don't know what Champions League is, is basically there's, I would hate to know how many like uh, clubs are in Europe or different countries. I want to say eight to 10 maybe. And out of those top 10 leagues, the top two teams every year or top three, depending on the strength of league qualify for champions league. And then you basically go through mm -hmm. this tournament process through the whole club season. And basically you find out who the winner of champions league is. It's really tough uh, to win. And what is the difference? So that's similar to champions league for football. So what's the difference for the club world championship? Yeah. Club world championship is just a lot of those top clubs will go to a tournament actually. And it's like a week to 10 day like tournament again. And so Got you're basically it. just doing almost the same thing, but just in a shorter condensed way. So even that, that was huge. Yeah. Wait, say that again. So winning that was huge. Yeah. I mean, winning Champions League and Club World Championship. I don't know the last time a Russian team has won it. Like both I of them. Russian, both of them. Yeah. Or even champ like no, for sure. Champions League, like they had won in like. I don't know how many years. So it was a big deal. Dang, that's really cool. Yeah. And very impressive to be able to win both with the same club in the same year. And then you go on to win world championships with yep. Team USA. I'm also going to ask the same question. Olympics or world championship? Which one matters more to you? Um, I think it's tough because the United States women's national team has never won either. So mm. I think they kind of hold the same weight, same World Cup, never won World Cup before. And so... The fact that we were able to win world championships for the first time ever in USA history was really cool. And at that point, when you won that and you hadn't won an Olympics yet, were you like, oh, no, winning a world world yeah. cup is like way cooler than winning an Olympics because like I just won the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it was very surreal. And what people don't know is that we barely made it into the finals. So really, you faced off against Brazil, yep. who had beat you in 2012. Yes. But before that, we needed Italy to beat someone else in order for us oh. to even make it to the final four. So we had kind of our like fate wasn't in our hands. We needed someone else to win in order for us to qualify. And so the fact that we came in, I think that's why when we beat Brazil 3-0, we had this like edge because we were just like, hey, we're here by chance almost and we're going to take it to you. So yeah. that's that's why it looked like that. Basically given a gift by another team or take advantage of the fact that might not have gotten there if it wasn't for yep. somebody else. Now a word from our wonderful sponsors. What do you think was 
the shift that allowed you guys to win that World Cup for the first time? Yeah. So what I talked about culturally and London a little bit, I think we made a lot of adjustments. I think a lot of us, especially like, I didn't say the newbies, like even like the class that was like two years older than me that had been around now for two quads, they they wanted to change like how people were communicating to one another. Like they're, even if you don't agree on something, it's about having a conversation and, and sitting down and like respectfully talking to that person versus just kind of pushing their idea to the side or just not listening. And so I think they really just, we sat down and tried to recreate a culture and what's a functioning culture and, and what does that look like? And what does it mean to be a good teammate? And how do we want this to look because it's fully in our control and we have a hundred percent control of our attitude actions and how we go about being a professional. And so um, I think at that point we had started to see that change. And I think the cohesion was why we won in, at world championships. So this has now happened twice in your career in college and yep. at the, at the USA level, which that's pretty, um, that's interesting and also like very cool that you were able to do it. And I know you're not saying it, but I feel like you were probably a catalyst in that just because you had seen it happen at Nebraska for sure. and the success that you can have from being able to have that culture reset. So 2014, huge year. Mm-hmm. 2015, you say Russia, it's been good, but I'm going to go to Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> what made you go from Russia to Turkey? Yeah. So I actually could have stayed another year in Russia, uh, which I'm kind of sad a little bit about it because you know, not only to win it, to like, to try to repeat it with the same team would have been really cool. And everybody came back, like, except for me. And so uh, I was a little sad about that because, you know, when you're in a program for so long, you always feel like this like ownership or like wanting to give back because they've just been so kind to you. And so I was a little sad, but at that point I had done everything that I had wanted to do. Right. I won a Russian cup. I run a Russian championship, Champions League, there was not much more for me to do besides repeat. And so I wanted a new challenge. And so going to Turkey at that time was one of the best leagues in the world. And Azadjabashi had been kind of a club that was always finishing like second, third place, like in Turkish league or champions league. They were always good, but Mm -hmm. like just never, you know, at the top. And so I just wanted to see what I could do. And I heard nothing but great things about Turkey. Well, you end up going from your Russian club, which you win, Champions League and club world championships yep. or championship. And then you go and you do that with your new team. Yep. Instead of helping your old team repeat, you say, I am going to repeat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. on top of that, you're named the MVP of both tournaments. Yeah. So what about 2015? What happened that year for you personally that led to such success on the court? So like I said, I was... I was married before. And I think at that point, um, he was staying home more. And I think not that that was because of him staying home, but I think I understood how to kind of not be alone, but like take control of who I was and who I am as a player and Mm. what I wanted to be. And not that he was doing something of that sense or trying to hinder me of anything, but uh, it allowed me to take more ownership of what I wanted and how I wanted to be. And, um, I know. I think I just really invested a lot of my time and physically and mentally and, and just giving. And I think these clubs, right, they're paying you well and they expect a product. And so I always felt this like, hey, I, I owe it to them to be the best that I can be. And not that I was never doing that, but I think that just um, that really helped. That makes sense. I feel like being on your own 
especially in a foreign country, it allows you to like completely focus and to actually, cause, yep. cause it's kind of like as athletes, we, you had success throughout your career, but it's putting all of the pieces together to get, to be able to personally repeat those tournaments, but then also be named MVP. You know, like it's like, yep. you can do it, you can go win, but then on top of it to do every little thing, right. I feel like that, that happens a lot when you have that ability to be like, totally zoned in and sometimes that happens yep. from being on your own yep for sure i've definitely i felt that before too so again 2015 huge year 2016 you three pete personally winning world club championship and i guess you're the only player to win a world club championship for three straight years three. which yeah. is crazy yeah. and then crazy. you also win your second usa volleyball indoor player of the year award you were also was that in 2015 yep you renamed that yes Yes, I uh, forgot to say that. Another thing for 2015. Yeah. <laughs> so this is 2016, and this is all going into Olympics, which your last one, silver medal. What was the team, but also what was your personal feelings going into those games? Yeah, um, I think at the time that's that club season leading up to it my goal was to be in the best shape that I could be in as far as being in the weight room like you said I mean you heard my schedule our schedule it was like there was no time there's no time off there's no time to like have an off season to lift heavy and to like have this like capacity to play at a high level so I was like I'm just gonna do it while I'm in season and if I'm tired I'm extra tired yeah. I'm just gonna be rest and recover and uh, so I basically just really tried to push in the weight room. And I think I was in my best shape that I had ever been in going into Olympic games. And I knew that if me personally, if I'm performing at a high level and I can kind of affect those around me, as far as, um, doing that, then I, I have confidence in our team and in what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve. So you guys go undefeated in group play, including beating Serbia, who you line up against in the semifinals and, end up losing to what were your feelings when you realized you weren't going to have the opportunity to play for a gold medal? Yeah. Sad. I think, um, our whole focus that Claude was like, not to feel like we did in, in London, right. As far as culturally and just obviously walking away short of our goal. But I think everyone believed in their heart that this team was capable of something special. And, Again, it's like we did everything right. We did it all right and we came up short. But I think everybody was, okay, we walked away with a, a bronze, but I think everybody was okay in that space because we knew that we literally did everything that we could in our control and that's all that matters. And um, it felt better than walking away with the silver and doing maybe things not right, which is kind of crazy. I was going to add, that's what I wanted to know. So, and you've now obviously won gold, but- in, in the bronze situation in 2016, what I think a lot of people probably don't understand is like you lose a semifinal, right? So it's like you've, you've just, your dream is stolen from, not stolen, you yep. let it go. And you have to like mourn that within a couple hours, 24 hours, because you have to play. For us, it was two days later. I don't know if it was- A day it, later. Yeah. yeah. So it's such a short amount of time that you're like, I'm so sad, I'm so heartbroken, but then I also have to- get my mind ready to be able to compete 
because there's still something left on the line. Yeah. And then on top of that, you turn around and if you win, which you did, you've now won something that you were successful in. So it's kind of like, is that better to leave on a high note of we won mm -hmm. the bronze medal? We won that as opposed to like silver medal. You technically lost that. Yeah. Uh, yes and no. I think I think how we lost it was 10 times worse, right? Got I still it. think like winning a goal, like winning silver, like winning, losing silver. <laughs> winning, like yeah. You said, it's, it's like, it's, it's, I'm a bad person for saying like losing silver. No, no, silver, I think, but. I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, but I think if we would have had the same team and, and fell short on silver, I think we still would have walked away very happy and content that we did something special and, and did something special together, you know? But like you said that, yeah, they don't just hand you a bronze, you know, like I, we're lucky that we've been able to walk away with something, you know, like imagine working all that and then you end up fourth. Like you don't get to walk away with anything. It's like, Hey, thanks for coming. You know, like it's, it's hard. So, yeah. and like you said, res resetting. So I don't know if you pay much attention to beach, but Carrie Walsh and April Ross had lost like basically a day before us and okay. had to do the same thing leading up until, uh, to the bronze medal match. And so, kind of understanding how and what they did to refocus their time. And, and that's what we, we tried to emulate as well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a crazy headspace to be in as an athlete. It is. It is. And it was my first time I had experienced it this year. And I was just like, I don't, how does anybody do this? I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, but I guess I my, mean, my question for you is like, like you won gold and then bronze. So like, what made you want to come back after, you know, like, I don't know how I would have felt if we had won gold and like would I have continued? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, ultimately, I'm going to keep playing until I'm ready to retire. And I, I'm not I haven't I'm not ready to retire anytime soon. So um, playing in Olympics is like you go hoping you're going to win a gold medal. Right. So I went into this past summer thinking like the goal is to win gold again, to repeat or not yep. repeat, but get another one. Yep. And also 2016, we lost in the quarter. So like for me going to, to Tokyo, it was kind of, it was the opportunity to do better than we had done the time before. Cause really it's like, yep. you're only as good as your most recent yep. attempt, but it was not fun. I'll tell you that. Like it was, it was weird and it was, it was hard mm -hmm. to handle. And, and again, like I said, it was, you, you have to almost mourn, but then you have to like pack up your feelings, put them in the corner and be like, I have a job to do. I've got to go. Yep. I've got to go play. I mean, I, I went twice in the locker room. I went to the bathroom and just like sat in the bathroom during pregame for the bronze medal game being like, Kelly, you've got to get up for this game. Like you've got to go out and compete because I was just, I was, I kept, I, I was like on the verge of tears at times, you know? Yeah. yeah so sure. anyway, it's enough about me, but oh, um, I think it's great. It makes sense to me. So yeah, it's, um, and I, but I think it also in, in the fact of we had won a gold before. So I'm like, ah, oh, like competing for a bronze, but then winning bronze felt amazing. Like it felt like we won something and yep. it's the Olympics is probably the only time that getting second or third is probably sick, you know? Like, yep, for sure. So, seriously. Seriously. It really is. Yeah. So, um, I was ultimately happy, but a lot of sadness too. Anyway, moving forward from 2016, because this is the happy part. Yeah. We first got to touch on 2020 and COVID and um, Athletes Unlimited and preparing for Tokyo. So Athletes Unlimited launched basically during COVID and it was yep. gave you an opportunity to, to play domestically. Yep. And the way they structured it was that in Athletes Unlimited, you win individual points. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the season, 
a player is crowned champion. Yeah. And in your first season, you're the champion. Yeah. <laughs> no surprise there. So what was that like? Because it's it's obviously during a very hectic time of COVID. There's a lot of questions. You know, there's no Tokyo has been postponed. Like, what were you thinking? And what did that look like for you? Like, were you training leading up to it? Were you like, I'm about to be champion? Like, I'm going in there trying to be champion. Like, what yeah. was that like? Yeah. Um, gosh, a lot of emotions for sure. And I honestly, it gave me something to do during COVID. Otherwise I was home and, uh, I was, I'm part of this, the PC, which is a player executive board. It's made up of five players. And basically we're the ones in charge of recruiting the whole roster. And so that was fun to kind of like learn that side of it and like have a lot of conversations like, Hey, we're starting this league. Like this could be our shot. Like, like you said, like most people don't want to go play overseas. So this is a great opportunity. And, but when they first approach us and they're like, yeah, this is the format. It's very much, you're drafting your own teams. You're on a new team every week. Like I was like, this isn't volleyball. Like what is this? I know. You know? It's like, kind it's, of, it's like fantasy. Yeah. Like, uh, a fantasy league. Yeah. Well, and someone yeah. was like, when I asked my teammate, she's like, it's like survivor, you know, it's like, who, <laughs> you of. know, like who are you going to be? And so it was a weird concept to get behind. But like, once I like bought into it more, I was like, this is great. Like it's, I don't know. It was more just like, how, how do you figure out how to be better? Like good when you're changing a lot of parts, you know, like how do you be the best you can? And so, uh, yeah, it was really fun. It was, it gave me something to do while I was home and yeah, I don't know how you felt during the pandemic, but we don't have an off season. That was like the longest time I've been home and like, I could like literally shut down and just like ramp back up. It was the greatest blessing I think ever. I know. I think a lot of athletes feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't get time off and like not even in the physical side of it, but the mental and emotional side and just being with your people and getting to, I mean, obviously COVID made it difficult to do a lot of fun things, but just kind of having the day to day, like yeah. monotony of normal life. I don't yeah. know. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so I totally understand where you're coming from and how you felt. Well, you, you go from that to leading into Tokyo and you obviously crushed it in athletes unlimited. You're on the older side of the team for team USA. Yep. You were the fifth oldest volleyball player in USA history to be named to an Olympic roster. Yeah. Which I'm like, how old are you? I'll be 35 this year. Okay. So that's like not that old in terms of life and, or, and you also, this was your last games. Yeah. At what point did you know that this was it? Um, I know. I just, I'm ready for other things in life. I don't know if I even come to that point yet. Like this is it. I know it's so, it's such a hard. Oh, you thing. have it. Oh, I thought you had. Oh no. Like I, I, I think it is. I don't know. Like, how does that go? Like, what does it look like? <laughs> it's like, you know, you just like have this like image in your life and you're like, it's such a harsh, like cutoff, you know, yeah. it's like, such a big part of your life for so long. Like, how does that, what's next? You know, like it's such a weird reality to be in. And so, um, yeah, no, I, I think I've dealt with a lot of emotion, like leading up to the games, like at the games and what is life going to be like? Um, but I don't know I, every time I have a conversation with just like a random, like my hair person, I was like, imagine like you're just doing your job for 20 years and then it just stops. You got to figure this shit out. So it's like, like, what do you do? You know? So yeah. it's a uh, yeah, weird time, but um, I'm excited for like what's next and yeah, I don't even know what question you asked me. I'm sorry, I'm getting off track, but Oh no, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I it it does seem like you're in that space of like you know that it's done, but you haven't yes. processed it yet. Yeah, or like what conversations do you need to have? I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm just kind of at this like kind of weird spot. But I feel like I have 
process it like this is it like uh you talk about emotion like going into the bronze medal match like we're going into the gold medal match I'm like looking over at Faluka my teammate and knowing that it's my last time I get to play with her I get to play with yeah. the USA jersey on like I all of a sudden I'm just in tears we're in the bus like going into the Olympic gold medal and she looked at me and she's like what are you doing and I'm like I have I don't know I don't something is happening to me so I don't know but Aww. it was like yeah I don't know you like you said you just you put everything into your life into something and you hope for the best and uh it's been a great career oh it's gonna make me emotional I know <laughs> But you you got to you got to end on the best way possible. Like you got to, it's a storybook ending. It you really completed is. the trifecta. You won gold at the end. Like I mean, you were crying on the way to the game. What did you feel like when you realized that you were a gold medalist? Yeah, I don't I don't know. Like it's just like a culmination of all these feelings, like shock and disbelief. Like did this really happen? Are is it me? Is it our team? Like what you know? Like all these questions and. I don't know, during COVID, we made this commitment as a team, like, hey, we're going to get on a Zoom call once a month. We're going to, you know, learn how to be good teammates. We're going to have hard conversations. We're going to do all these things. And the fact that we did all that and like it worked, like that is what's crazy to me. And how we won, like 3-0, Like you couldn't have asked me like, hey, are you going to come out winning the pool? You're going to come out undefeated, like in the, you know, quarters, semis and final. Like what? Like it's so crazy to me. So yeah. I mean, it's incredible. I'm so happy for you. And this is the first time we're meeting. And I I think it's like, it's like the best thing ever as an at, like, that's the coolest thing ever. You get to end on such a high and such an accomplishment and to cap off your career and ride off into the sunset. Like that is pretty incredible. And I've kept you way longer than I should. So we're going to hit the repeat questions. And those are first one. Who's been the one person in your life that's had the biggest impact on your career and why? Um, I would probably say my mom. I think she uh, she was feisty. She just she obviously was a former athlete and just um, I don't know all around good person. Uh, yeah, she just taught me how to be a professional and to do things right in the in what what in her eyes. So I I think she uh she's one person that I'm I'm grateful for. Love that. And she made you write down your goals as a 12 year old, which yep. you accomplished all of them, which is yep. pretty cool. <laughs> um all right, next question. They say work hard, get lucky. How much of your success is predicated on luck? <sighs> Goodness. I would say there's some luck, but I think that takes time and dedication and hard work to get where we are or where we've been. And um, sure, there's been some luck on my side. I don't know what percent, but for sure. Okay, you've got to you've got to put a number to it. Oh, I have to put a number. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Shit. Um, I don't want to go too high or too low. Fifteen percent. All right, that's fair. That's a good number. Okay. All right. Fifteen percent luck. 80%. What do you say? I did an interview and somebody asked me, but I don't remember what I said. I probably said like twenty five. 75 okay um, okay and that's that was the other number that was in my head I was like yeah I don't know last one and uh I'm interested in what you're gonna say oh boy you've accomplished so much already you've capped off your career in the most incredible way possible so where do you go next and how do you keep pushing and staying motivated uh well I'm still gonna play pro so I'm going back to China to play pro and athletes unlimited for the second season and so um I don't know I think just continuing to be the best version of myself in whatever I do um whether that's getting into coaching and you know helping my husband who's now a head coach and yeah just kind of I've been able to have all these tools now I got to give back and, and help those 
those young kids coming up the pipeline. I love that. Well, Jordan, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for the time. It was great to sit down and chat with you and just hear about your life and your career and what a special one it has been. Um, so thank you. Congrats on everything yeah, and being thanks. able to get that trifecta. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was great sitting down and yeah, I, I appreciate people when they, they do their homework, they know what they're talking about. And obviously you've done a great job. So congrats. I try. Congrats except, to except you for... as well, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited JWS. to see what's going to happen next for you guys. It's going to be great. So yeah, I just don't know how to pronounce your club teams, but that's okay. That's okay. You don't play overseas, <laughs> so it's hard to know. Yeah. It's hard to know. So Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks so much for listening. Our show is produced by Just Women Sports. For more great sports content, go to justwomensports.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to the Just Women Sports podcast. Catch you next time.